This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome along to the latest episode of My Liverpool here on Blood Red with me, Guy Clark, as we lift the bonnet on some of your favourite contributors' connections with the club, childhood heroes, first Reds recollections, those early Anfield memories, as well as heartbreaks and nostalgic seasons for the ages. With me today, we have the chief, our chief Liverpool writer and Blood Red stalwart Ian Doyle. Doyle, I could have called you a veteran, but you'll tell me that would have been unfair. I can never be a veteran as long as Preno's still working for us. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm okay. Yourself? Yeah. I believe Arsenal, Arsenal won a game recently. Don't know when this is going out, but I believe that they won a game recently. <laughs> yeah, uh, they did 6-0. Scored <laughs> yeah. goals in one game. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's it for the season. <laughs> it certainly is. Thankfully, we're here to talk Liverpool and uh, everything with them going far greater. But today, as I say, we're going to sort of rewind and, and look back on things, talk through a number of topics regarding kind of your own connection with the club, which I suppose through the years has to have changed an awful lot. Now being a reporter and covering them in the capacity you do, as opposed to when you were growing up and first getting into football. Well, yeah, I mean, it also it's a little bit to do with the way that the job's changed as well. I mean, I, I covered Everton as well as Liverpool for 18 years. And obviously, over a certain amount of time, length of time, you know, that, no secret, but everybody supports somebody. and. You know, the people at Everton, the ones who I knew quite well, they obviously knew that I was brought up as a Liverpool fan. And every now and again, you know, one of the players would notice, or the manager would notice, certainly David Moyes noted it, was, would, would make mention of it every now and again. But, you know, as, as I say, I wasn't the only one who covered Everton at the time who supported Liverpool in the same way. I wasn't the only one who, who covered Liverpool who supported Everton. I'm sorry, there were people who supported Everton who covered Liverpool. So it worked both, worked both ways. But going back to yeah, my beginnings is that I was brought up in a, in a family of... The Liverpool supporters. I mean, my dad, funny enough, my dad, um, we did a podcast with him, I think about 18 months yeah. ago now, which apparently some people quite liked, which was like, nice to hear. Um, but he's from St. Helens, where I'm from, and big rugby town. And I uh, don't think anybody in his family was particularly fussed about football, but but he would go, I think the first time he went down, I don't know, in the 50s, but basically Liverpool were in the second division and Everton were in the first division. And in those days, you could go to both games because it was, it was cheap. So we'd go and watch Liverpool, and he'd go and watch Everton to actually watch some good football being played. But when they when it came to the crunch, he chose Liverpool. And my mum was from the Anfield area originally, so she was you know, brought up a Liverpool fan as well. So it was a bit of a no-brainer that I'd end up being a being a Liverpool fan because the, the pair of them would be going the game for years. So in terms of the, the way that it's changed for my job, yeah. I mean, uh, when I started as a journalist in 1997, uh, you'd never guess from from the way I look, would you? Yeah. Um, oh, I thought you started yeah, so, so you years thought, ago. So yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you thought. Um, yeah, 1997, I started and I started covering both the clubs properly in the in 2000. That it was 2018 when I made the switch from from both of them just to purely Liverpool on a on a on a you know daily basis, going all to all the games from March 2018. It was, but you do see things from a different perspective. You don't get quite as emotionally invested in it. Certainly, when I was covering both clubs, although obviously, <clears throat> I always said that the ideal situation when I was covering the pair of them was they'd finish first and second in the league and both get to the final, but Liverpool would win it every single time. So, you know, I, I, that that's the way. You know, that's the way it worked well as well professionally as well because at the time when I was doing it, Everton were in Europe and they got to an FA Cup final, this, that, and the other. So, you know, that that, that you know, I think what happens, you never lose your affinity for the club. But you can have possibly have the bias knocked out of you, and they, you know, maybe if you'd not been 
working alongside people, say at Everton for so many years, you suddenly think, well, you know, if they win a game or or, or get to a final when Liverpool are well out of the competition, like in 2009, you think, well, you know, I'm quite pleased for them, to be honest, because you kind of got to know these people. But, you know, deep down, you are who you, you know, you are who you support, as they say, is what, what they do now, because I've just made that phrase up. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and that's that. So yeah, are we are we going to now go all the way back to the whole the start where it all we began? Are, yeah, we are going to go back to the start. Yeah, you you also, mm. as you said, everyone supports someone. You do love to make reference of the fact that I support a side. Well, the, yeah, not, yeah, not that, doing so yeah, well yeah, yeah, yeah. You do you do support somebody, and I think football fans, proper football fans, and funny if we were talking about this last week, weren't we? Not not on the podcast, but I think they do have that kind of shared experience. No matter who you support, they all go through the same kind of you know same ups and downs it may just be at a different level you know if you support somebody like just say Tramia, Tramia, yeah. like they were in the i covered Tramia for a few years when i first started and they were in the championship then well we think it think it may have been the first or second division then i think no it actually was the championship they're in the championship and then over the course of the next 20 years they went down into out of the league full stop then they got back up you know so, so for Tramia to be like in league one now if they if they get promoted next season a big deal but obviously for for liverpool finishing Say if they finish sixth this year, it would be a they treat it as a bit of a disaster, wouldn't it? Or, or, yeah. or like not a season that they would be expecting. But uh, you know, as we're going to find out in a minute, Liverpool will finish lower than sixth when I've been watching them. Yeah, definitely right. Let's let's go right back to the start. Then your childhood hero, the first player you sort of I suppose made made you fall in love with Liverpool, and who you I suppose get all sort of blurry eyed when you you, you think back to. Well, I, well, I mean, there weren't many Ians in football. So obviously the obvious one was Ian Rush, you know. So that was that was quite clear. Oh look, he's got the same name as me, you know. When you're six, seven, that's kind of a big deal because there was no one in my school. I had anyone in my school called Ian apart from me. So a bit of a, I wouldn't say it was an unusual name, but it wasn't very common at the time. It certainly isn't now. So you know, for, for somebody who also happens to be Liverpool's greatest ever goal scorer and was probably one of their best players at the time, he'd be one of them. And the other one, simply because he was a kind of a crowd pleaser, was Bruce Grobbler. Um I know, you know my mates who, who supported Liverpool when I was when we were at school. It was mostly them two. I know if you go into Liverpool, because as I said, if you go into Liverpool, there's a lot of love for Kenny Dalglish around about that time. But I think by the time I started watching, which was the first game was in March 1983, he kind of he, he wasn't quite at his peak. He'd just gone past it, and he had he was still obviously setting up the goals for and Rush, but it was. For somebody my age, you looked at someone like Rush and Grobler and people like that. They were more the ones that you kind of got drawn to simply because they were, well, scoring the goals and, and keeping the goals out. I don't want to make this about Arsenal, the team that I support, but kind of in a similar manner. Also, I think it maybe as a younger football fan, the sister, as it were, is difficult to understand that appreciation for actually how good a footballer they hmm. are. For example, for me growing up, Thierry Henry was the best thing since sliced bread. And you didn't think so much about Dennis Bergkamp because he didn't score as many goals. Yet now you look back on it and think, what a terrific player he was. Well, you look back at, you know, if you, if you support any kind of team who's had any kind of success when you were younger, you can look back at the, the footage now and go, wow, they were quite good, weren't they? Like the whole team, you know, imagine if you're an Aston Villa fan, looking back at 1981 when they won the league and then won the European Cup the following year. I mean, that's just slightly before my time. My, I think my second ever game was Aston Villa, Liverpool Aston Villa, and uh, Liverpool actually picked up the Championship trophy that, that, that on that day. Um, so I'm gonna say I thought you could ask me about my first game. The first game was against Everton, March the nineteenth, nineteen eighty three at Anfield, nil nil. 
which set me up lo- nicely for the for my career for the most part. Look, oh look, a goal well, score well for, two, yeah. <laughs> yeah, set you up for the last few seasons. Exactly, certainly. yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, so uh, so that was my first game. I think the second game was where they picked up the, the championship against Aston Villa. I think they drew one all. So I just thought, you know, growing up, if, if it wasn't Liverpool winning it, it was Everton winning it. So for about four or five years, until Arsenal won it in 89, actually, I just thought, well, oh, the, the title just stays up here. And it was like, a, you know, most of my mates were either Liverpool or Everton fans, kind of just swapping it each year. I just thought it was completely normal, this. And obviously it wasn't. But that is it, isn't it? Is that was just such a complete golden period that, as you say, you you kind of in the end take for granted until you have a thirty-year wait for another league title to come around. But I suppose growing up, even through that time, through the seventies, the club had been so dominant in Europe as well, and then into the, into the eighties, the team domestically is still hoovering up absolutely everything. Kind of begun to see off Nottingham Forest, who were a bit of an irritation, I suppose, to the side trying to scoop up a few domestic trophies here and there. But at that time, must have just been, I suppose, wonderful being a, a, a Liverpool fan and a football fan, which I suppose you, your consumption of it all was very different to what it is these days. It was very much pre-Premier League and it wasn't beamed on TV every single week. It was about being there, reading the paper and keeping on top of it that way. No, oh, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd been at the game was was the big. I mean, it still is the be all and end all, isn't it? But it yeah. was a lot harder to actually cover. Uh, to cover to actually to if you weren't there to actually catch. There weren't highlights from every single game. Obviously, with Liverpool it was slightly different because they were quite successful. So if they were playing in Europe or a cup game, it'd invariably be certainly on what would it be sports night, midweek sports special. These are just names I'm throwing at you now. You haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, but there will be people who will know what I'm talking about there. Um, um, but but yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, it was interesting, actually, because when I was at school, I reckon that if you split them down the middle, uh, half were Liverpool, half were Everton, and then there were two Man United fans who were, I'm pretty sure they were in the same family as well. And uh, But now if you went, I'm pretty sure that wouldn't be the case. And it probably reflective of the success at the time of the club, but also certainly where I live is the fact that there's a strong Merseyside connection well, from the city itself, even though I'm like 15 miles down the road. Yeah, definitely. Is that what gave you sort of the, the, the wanting and desire to become a reporter yourself later on or was that just well, it's, case it's, of- it's, it's funny it's like I've had this conversation with other people and I've technically never ever remembered a time when I didn't want to do it yeah. so I think it's one of those things that either gets switched on really early on and then it never goes away and you do something about it or there will be people who can think about it and you can t- you know we've been both been in the industry long enough to know that you have to want it because there are certain Let's say, without wishing to give away too give away too much, the hours aren't particularly great. It's not great for no. your social life, and unless you are at the absolute maximum top of the game, the the you know the old the old food chain, you're not getting paid absolutely loads of money either. But the flip side to that, you go and get to watch footy or you get to cover football. It's like for loads of people, it's the dream job, and loads of people want to do it. So, you know, I was just one of many, many thousands, tens of thousands, probably. Kids my age who wanted to end up doing what I'm doing now. So, you know, while we all have a little moan about things, certainly drawing Norwich away in the League Cup was unnecessary <laughs> given the fact that we've just been come back from there. But, you know, this is better than doing a proper job. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. Speaking about football, and yeah, to, to for me to get to get into a football game for free would be absolutely fantastic. To be mm. there, being paid to cover it is, is the dream, as you say. But in terms then of that, that first game, did you say it was at Anfield or was it? It was at Anfield. It was at Anfield, yeah. 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 What, Anfield. what were your first memories then of, of going to Anfield then? And I suppose 
that actually taking all of that in? It's that long ago now. I can't actually remember that much about it, apart from the fact that Liverpool either had a goal disallowed or had one cleared off the line. I think it may have been cleared off the line and he thought it was in. And I just remember the big roar. And then, of course, because there was no goals, finished nil-nil. That was the only real roar that there was. Um, but I also remember what they used to do was they used to, Liverpool used to come out, I'm not sure whether any of the clubs did this, used to have, I don't know what you'd call them, uh, down south flyaway footballs like like you know yeah, the ones yeah. on the beach yeah basically and they don't all have one and they'd sign it they've signed it before the game the players were playing they come out and they just boot it into the crowd and remember once whether it wasn't me i think it was even my mum when my dad caught one it was david hodgson who uh, <laughs> that's how long ago it was i mean when did he leave liverpool about 1984 something like that so you know we, we that was the pride of place in the in the house for many years until it got deflated and chucked out the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We've spoken about, I suppose, childhood heroes, your first mm. game. What about then sort of the best, the best player you've seen? I think I know where you're going to go with this. You mention it occasionally on the podcast, but who's who for you has been the best player? I mean, you can you can talk through a few of them if you want. But... Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean... But, I mean, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because when I first started watching, as I said, in the 80s, it just felt like every single player we played was very good. It's only when you get to the 90s and then suddenly you have some transfer missteps and you see some players who aren't quite at the same level and you also have a great appreciation of the other teams and their players. Um, but in terms of in terms of best players, I mean, we mentioned Rush there, um, but the first one that you were like, got you out of your seats was John Barnes. He, John, he remains probably, probably the most gifted footballer I've ever seen play for Liverpool. Um, purely on the fact that even though he, he moved to a team that had won the double the year before and had won all those leagues, when he then played for that team and then he didn't play in it, the team just looked totally different. It was like they weren't a one-man team by any stretch of the imagination, but he brought so much to that team. And we're talking the 87-88 team where you had Beardsley and Aldridge and you know and Hanson and all of those, Steve Nichols. Steve Nichols is another very good player, by the way. He's somebody who people often forget about, but he was a great player. Um, going through... I mean, Fowler, Robbie Fowler was a very good finisher. Um, he's probably the most natural finisher Liverpool have had, certainly in my time watching them. Um, best player overall is probably Gerrard, Steven Gerrard. Um, not just because of the fact that he was there for so long, but he was like, there were games where he'd just go, I've had enough of this. And he'd just like, get hold of the ball and he'd just do something like, you know, smash one in from 25 yards or whatever have you. But then that kind of rubbed off on everybody else. But you go through to the even like the present day, uh, players like Salah, Salah's gonna be he, already. He is a Liverpool legend. And if you name, if you ask me to name the players who I've seen play for Liverpool, the the best eleven, he'd be in it without any doubt. And funny enough, a few other players would be Alison Becker would be in goal, Virgil Van Dijk would be at centre back, um, Trent would probably be at right back, and there's a good call, a good shout to put Henderson into centre midfield as well. So. You know, that shows you how good Liverpool are at the moment. And in the 90s, funnily enough, when I was kind of the age of, you know, 14, 15, 16, going from, what, what did I do? I started the 90s, age 13, ended it with 23. So that's where you do most of your, you kind of, you're growing up in that sense. But I thought you, you were going to say, that's that's what tends to happen in a decade. You've got <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> yeah, 10 years happens in a decade, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's when you start going to away games with your mates and stuff like that, you know. And that was just at a time when Liverpool went not very good, certainly in comparison to what they used to be. You know, the Graham Sooners era wasn't particularly great. 
uh, Roy Evans was better, but they, you know, they won a, they won a league. They had the, the 96 final against Man United. It was at that one. That was a complete waste of time. Um, then the, the Julia, he kind of changed things, isn't he, towards becoming. But by then, by the time Julia comes in, I'd been working for a year. So already the whole dynamic starting to change. Going to all the games doesn't happen because I'm either in the office or going elsewhere covering, as I say, trammy. So you kind of fall out of that. So one of the things about being back covering just, well, say just covering Liverpool is that I'm able to go all the games again, which, you know, I'd rather be at, well, it's better than being at the games than, than being in the office. I think everybody knows that. So in that sense, you know, that's where that's changed. But I think one player I missed out was Luis Suarez. And Suarez is definitely, so yeah, you say the best players that I've seen play. John Barnes is the most gifted. Steven Gerrard is the best overall. Suarez was just capable of doing the most ridiculous things ever like he, he would just you know you've seen some of the goals he scored and then the modern day one you got to say Salah will will be a great because he can just you know I think at the moment actually he's on a par with anyone else in the world anyone else has anybody else played anyone else better than, than Mo Salah at the moment we're talking you know Ronaldo we're recording this looks like he's going to Man City but he you know he Good move for him because he can just stand still in the middle and then just tap in all the cutbacks from the from the uh, the touchline. Messi obviously is going to PSG, but he's about 34, 35. Mbappe is not in his prime yet. He's kind of having that, you know, he's come onto the scene and then he'll have a few years of getting, you know, the, things will happen and then he'll end up just hitting it again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But so Salah is in that, and I think he probably is the best player in the world at the moment. It's one of those, isn't it, with this Liverpool side, though, because it's and we we see the clamour all the time for kind of transfers, change it up, bring new faces in, and I think that's more what it is than anything. Is people want to see new faces in there, but the longer they stay together, what's this now? The fifth season for the front three, as it mm. were. Of course, Diogo Jota is about, but with the likes of Salah, with the likes of Van Dijk in particular, those two, because they've been at that top consistent level now for so long, it's just kind of taken as red, isn't it? And and for granted that, oh yeah. They're brilliant without actually maybe getting showered with the individual well, accolades they deserve. That takes you back to what I was saying before about the 80s. You didn't really realise just how good they were. And I think Liverpool fans who would be 12, 13, they'd be brought up on the team uh, at the moment, certainly under Jurgen Klopp. I think should it dip, and it will do at some point, because it always does, no, but nothing ever lasts forever, and certainly not in terms of being a successful football team, is they'll prob- probably have a greater appreciation, if you say, of, of, of the the way the, the players have played, the way the teams played, the kind of games that they played, the kind of football they played, and certainly the results that they've got because you know, they won the Champions League, they won the first ever Premier League, although, as I prefer to look at it, the 19th league title is what they won. And uh, and, they, and they won the Club World Cup for the first time, which is something Liverpool had never, ever done. Yeah, definitely. Right, in terms of where else we go, we've got plenty of other topics to talk about. And I suppose in terms of talking about first sort of memories then we said first matches what about signings and things because as we mentioned before the landscape in the 80s was different in terms of how things were announced and done what kind of sticks out to you regarding that was was it sort of such a glitzy glammy thing for signings to have to be made as it is these days no i mean don't forget there was no internet there was no no even the football that was in the newspapers only in the early 90s after italia 90 were it became a bigger thing. The football became more 
prominent. It was always pro- it was always on the back page. Let's yeah. be honest, it was on the back page, but it was never you'd never like be turning four pages in and it's still the football. You know what I mean? And certainly the, the likes of the broadsheets would never go into it massively in depth, even though they still even then had the kind of the the, the best you know created best writers of the art of, of actually covering sport. So you'd used to find out about signings. Like you'd pick up the paper one morning and go, oh, what's happened there? You know, oh, what's happened there? I get it. It sounds ridiculous now for people to to think that in this day of rumours and press releases and Twitter. You know, that 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 would that wasn't that didn't happen in those days. Sometimes you you genuinely would pick up the paper and go, oh they've signed somebody. You know, and that's how you that's how you'd find out. You don't you'd hear rumours, but it would never be anything like it is now. I mean, it's kind of like, I know it's a, a different thing, but the whole Ian Rush April Fool's Day prank of people believing it within minutes. It would never happen now. You could no, never get no, away with it now. Because, yeah. because that was kind of the way people found out their, their news and stuff. Yeah. Was, Whoa, what, what's happened here? But, yeah. yeah. I mean, in terms of transfers, I remember there was one where Michael Lauder was meant to be going to Liverpool, and that didn't happen. I think he went to, or you, I'm not sure whether he was already at Juventus or he went to Juventus. I mean, Ian, Ian Rush moving to Juventus was a big deal at the time. I remember that. And it was an even bigger deal than when he came back. Um, so you know, that was probably when I was growing up, in terms of a Liverpool transfer, that was probably the, the, the biggest one that I can remember. But it has only really been, it's not even been, it's basically been since the transfer window arrived, what was that, 2002? Something like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, signs have always been interesting. You got, and also for for the kids today who are listening, there never used to be a window. So you, up until I think it was the last Thursday in March, I think you third could sign. Thursday you, in March, I think, wasn't it? Was it third? Sorry. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think you could third. sign. You could sign anyone at any time. You could just yeah. sign anyone. So if someone was injured, you just go. Let's just get this player in. And the other thing, because there was no real coverage of European football, certainly towards the end of the nineties, when Liverpool signing Ronnie Rosenthal, Glenn saying people like that, you were like, who's this? You because know, because even if they had played in big games, like I think Hussein had played in the UEFA Cup final against Dundee United, if you hadn't caught that game you on telly, because it would have been on telly, you would never, ever, ever have seen them. You know, so mm-hmm. it was harder to, you know, harder to keep up with it in that sense. It was always a surprise, which I think is one thing that's a little bit sad now, is that there are very few surprises because it's dead easy just to, you know, we do it ourselves. We cover the under-18s, the under-23s. You know, if any of those comes through, most Liverpool fans would have heard about them for years. Yeah, oh, I, sp- I suppose Harvey Elliott's prime example. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Trent, yeah. Trent was another one. Yeah. Even even going you know, when I was covering Everton, Wayne Rooney, everybody knew that Wayne, well, to be fair, Wayne Rooney was quite good when he was about 14, so that's not much of a surprise. But even then you could tell that there's players who, in the old days, it may just be in the club insiders or people who like the scouts at the games or that who would know about them. But even then, everybody was hearing about them. What about then heartbreaks? Because you said through the 90s, that was a time... For, for you certainly growing up, finding yourself being a, a Liverpool fan, going home and away type thing. With the, that then, that was kind of the slide as it were, but any definitive moment, you've already hinted at the, the 96 Cup final against Manchester United. Oh, that was just, United, well, that was just boring. I'm just glad that was over, to be honest. I'm glad somebody <laughs> scored. I just wanted to go home. I'm glad I was going, oh, God, there's no extra time. Genuinely, it was like, oh, well, they got beat. Never mind. Let's go home. Um, I know you're angling at here, by the way, but I've got to tell you, the 1989 game against Arsenal, uh, I wasn't there. Now, I had a season ticket by this point, but I wasn't there because obviously with what, what happened at Hillsborough, the yeah. season had been extended and we booked a family holiday for in typical style the day after the cup final, which had been booked for like about 10 months before or something like that. So I went down to see them beat Everton at, at, at Wembley was at the, for that, that game, 3-2, and then went off. Went off to a Ibiza it was for two weeks. But, by the way, I was 13 at the time, so it's not a Ibiza as you might imagine it would be <laughs> now. Um, so... 
there was that. And of course, in the old days, nobody wanted a phone home because it was about five pounds a minute. There was no internet, as I say, there was no widespread coverage of football on television abroad. So you'd have to rely on newspapers that were delivered the day after or the later in the evening. So say the game was played on a Tuesday night, like Liverpool Wednesday played West Ham on a Tuesday night. You wouldn't get it till Wednesday afternoon or something like that, unless you were so desperate you did phone home. And Liverpool did play West Ham on the Tuesday and won 5-1. Remember finding this out because when there was a new load of people were coming into the uh, coming into the hotel we were staying in, my mum was like commandeering them going, does any of you watch any follow football? So what was the score between Liverpool and West Ham? I was like, uh, I think they won 5-1. All right, so that means we can... Oh, we can get beat 1-0, can't we? Yeah, you know where this is going. Yeah. So on the Friday, I think the game, somewhere was showing the game, but it was like we it was like a tiny place miles away, so you couldn't really watch it. And it was the next morning somebody came down from breakfast wearing an Arsenal kit, a yellow away Arsenal kit, just basically going, yeah, we won 2-0, all this kind of stuff. And we were like, that's not true. We just thought it was talking nonsense. And yeah. the papers arrived a bit later on. It was like, oh, right, yeah, yeah. okay. Which is sounds ridiculous to imagine that now when you think of the Premier League as this worldwide. I'm surprised, you know, in the, in, in the International Space Station, I'd imagine they'd watch Premier League games live from up there, but back then you couldn't you couldn't watch games in, in other countries. So, no. And so it kind of, I felt detached from that. So that wasn't really, I, to be honest, I still refuse to believe that even happened, I'll be honest, because I wasn't there. So, I think it was about four years afterwards, it was the first time that I saw the goals, honestly. Because you wouldn't, if you didn't want to watch it, didn't have to. You know what I mean? So, I think when Liverpool played Arsenal the next game, I was there, so I didn't see it on television. You know what I mean? So, you, yeah. you, it, 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 again, it's hard to imagine. You can just go onto YouTube now, type it in on my phone, and then there are the goals there. But you know, in those days, that that wasn't that wasn't possible. Um, in terms of heart, I don't know. I mean, because I can't. The what I tell you what, once first time I was ever upset at a game of football, genuinely upset. This is going to make you laugh. Liverpool played QPR in a Milk Cup semi-final in 1986, right? And they lost the first game 1-0 because it was two, two, even two legs then. They lost the, Milk Cup is League Cup, by the way, for anybody yeah. else who wondered what I was on about. So they lost the first game 1-0. Played the second one at Anfield. I didn't go because I think we only had two tickets. So I think my parents went, yeah, we're going to this one. And said to me, me and my brother, you stay at home, whatever, with your nan. And uh, it was on telly. So that was unusual. So it was live on telly. So, yeah, watch it. And... Liverpool basically they drew to all, but managed to score all four of the goals. Like this QPR scored two really jammy own goals. I had to go goal score for them for them. Sorry, in the other game I was like genuine. Like I can't. I think I was in tears, age nine, like at this game. Like, and it's. I think it's the only time ever I've ever cried at a, at a football result ever. Only time, age nine, and of course that season ended with Liverpool winning the double. So it it, it turned out all right in the end. Yeah, maybe, I was going to say, maybe that was what they were yeah. waiting for in that title <laughs> drought. You needed to turn on the waterworks, but no. And another game, funny enough, another game I remember, and I'd already started work by this point, it's, it was probably the lowest point I've ever seen the Anfield crowd after a game, was Liverpool got beat 1-0 at home by Leicester in a rearranged game in like late April or something like that. And it was the night that United, Man United played at Juventus in the, in the Champions League semi-final. So, of course, we heard they were getting beat 2-0. And then the next minute, getting towards the end of the game, oh, yeah, they're winning 3-2 and they're they're going through. And, oh, look, Liverpool just conceded a last-minute goal. And I think David James made a mistake for it or something like that. It was just a whole kind of, oh. And and you felt as though the team itself felt as far away as possible from ever challenging for anything. And, of course, within two years, they'd won the cup treble. So a little uh, 
example there of how quickly things can change in football. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When I was speaking with Gorsty last week, he obviously referenced the, the Chelsea game in, in 2014 and that obviously being a, a real low moment, but interesting. Oh, it's, it's 2014, that's weird. I just don't even think of that one. Genuinely don't even yeah. think of it because by then I'm like, oh, they've had about five or six separate failed title challenges by that point. Did you point. think there was ever a point? Because he, he then sort of said, he, he mentioned... Norwich, he Norwich said, away. Norwich, when they beat Norwich, I thought, hang on, they could do this. And then yeah, of course no, they then, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, yeah. I mean, I was there because Gorsley uh, then mentioned the, the the Wolves game and obviously losing the title to City by a point. But sort of said that wasn't heartbreak because everyone was. You could you could feel this was the the restart really of something mm. and the Jurgen Klopp that league title sort of campaigns would go quite well and there would be proper title challenges. But was there ever a point where you thought they're not gonna they're not gonna get this done? They're not. There's something. There is a jinx there that is stopping Liverpool getting the league title. I don't think the 2014 one was different because that was such a surprise. Yeah, that was such a surprise because they just—I think they'd won like before those last three games where they they didn't they lost to Chelsea, drew with um, drew with Palace, which to this day everyone goes like, oh, Chris Stamble and stuff like that. It's no, the only reason that happened is because Liverpool just had to try and score a ton of goals to try and improve the goal difference to have any chance. So if they only needed to win, they'd have gone three 0 up and went, okay, we're going to stop playing now. But they just kept on going forward to try and get the goals, and that's what and. It's the Chelsea game that did them, really. Yeah. They'd have drawn that game. Nil-nil against Chelsea was the result. That was the big mistake they made. So, no, I mean, they, they, they were well behind. And that, obviously, I'm going to mention Arsenal again, sorry, but the 5-1 against Arsenal, that was the turning point for that season because you were like... Yeah, it was. You know, you Arsenal say, was like, you're like, wow, what's happened here? You know, this is the kind of thing that, that... And then that was Suarez and his pomp and you had Gerard having his little you know, his Indian summer. Raheem Sterling was coming through. Uh, Coutinho was just finding his feet, wasn't he? I mean, so you know, I've just mentioned what was it four players there? One of them gone to Man City and won loads of leagues. Uh, Coutinho won the Champions League with Bayern, didn't he? Went to Barcelona, as we know. Suarez won it, and obviously Gerard, as I've just said before, is one of the probably the best Liverpool player I've ever seen play. So for that team, it wasn't a surprise that they did well, but it was just nice the way that they did it because they had a failed title challenge in I think it was 1997. Where they famously finished fourth in a two-horse race, where they they were top with about five games to go, something like that, and they got beat by United at home, and then they got beat by Coventry at home. Gary McAllister, I think, either set up or scored the last uh, the the winner in the last minute, and they ended up drawing the last game at Sheffield Wednesday, despite the fact I think Sheffield Wednesday had an outfield player in goal or, or had a goalkeeper sent up or something like that, and it meant that they'd gone from being in the Champions League for the first time ever to finishing fourth, and within this year. Who yeah, he come in, and then a couple of months after that, Evans had gone. So, it's you know, there, there's an example of that. I'm, I'm just trying to think of any more heartbreaks. I don't know. It's it's funny of all, of all the people that you're probably asking this to, and you're probably thinking, oh, he's Mister Misery, and he must have loads yeah. of them. It's like there isn't a quite. I think this has probably come over time, just by being a bit older. And as I mentioned before yeah. about the fact you can be a little bit more detached, because I'll tell you the other way around is the most pleased I've been at Liverpool winning a game. It wasn't necessarily because the They'd won, but it was when they beat Barcelona 4 0. And the reason being, because literally, just like the couple of days before, was it the day, it was the day before? A uh, yeah. company had put that thing, and you're thinking, I can't believe this. You know, last week they were within, you know, they could win the league and they were close to a semi final, uh, close to a final of the Champions League, and they just lost 3 0 
to Barcelona, where they Despite probably, they probably yeah. should. Yeah, he's played right. They played really well and should have at least got it to three-one, possibly three-two. And then company knocks one in like that when they were in. Was it twenty minutes? Was it of Leicester draw and it would have given them a chance of winning the league. So when Liverpool then beat Barcelona four-nil, which I know we've done many a time on this on this podcast, I actually felt made it for the players because obviously that was the first season from start to finish where I'd done every single Liverpool game and. Well, player access isn't what it was, say, you know, when I first started 15 years ago, where you could you know, possibly you know, ring players and talk to them and that kind of thing. You still got to know quite a few of them. You certainly saw the effort that they put in. I was going to say, the Wolves seemed to drop that night, that you could actually see these these group of men, the sheer effort it's, they... Yeah, the, te- the determination for them. They just they thought, we've got to get something out of this season. How can we get 90, was it 97 points in the end? Yeah. And get to us semi-final of a Champions League and then end up getting nothing out of the season. How is it even possible? We've only lost one Premier League game and we're not going to win the league probably, which of course they didn't. And uh, But yeah, that was the most, yeah, that was the most pleased I'd been after a game because I was just made up for them and also because it meant that we we got to go to Madrid as well. That was good. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. But with I suppose with the um, with the Premier League and the stardom of it all and the entourages and everything, that the players really are like stars, aren't they? Hmm. And, kept away and everything like that. But as you say, that night it did feel as though actually, and I think that's one of the real sort of endearing parts of this Liverpool team is you can genuinely see how genuine, how genuine the guys are. And as I say, that that human element almost sort of seems to to come. Where where does that come from? Where does that come from? The manager comes from the manager. And I, I, I remember when, when Rogers, when Brendan Rogers got sacked after they haven't actually gone to that game and gone back to the office. And slightly funny story. I'd got my stuff ready to go at about twenty past six. So I went to the in the old office where we used to be. Went off to the kitchen to clean my cup. And as I'm walking past this, can't remember it was on the desk. Uh, some on that news desk went, "Oh, you're going to be staying late." I says why? He says, well, "You do not know." And I says, "What? Well, I've literally just been over there for two minutes. What's happening?" He went, "Roger's been sacked." I says, "You are." So when I walked over to the desk, they were like, yeah, it's getting announced in about three minutes. <laughs> it's like, oh, what? So <laughs> you were there, there for another five or six hours. But even then, uh, we kind of sussed that Klopp was the favourite. I was thinking, why would he come to Liverpool? Why would he go? He'd, he'd left Dortmund. He wanted a bit of a break. He was having a sabbatical. Liverpool were, they still hadn't got over the fact they hadn't won the league in 2014. I mean, the 2014-15 season was just horrible for the most part. Um and they obviously not spent very well on the players, but the minute the clock comes in, suddenly he's, he's managed to change everything around. And what is he now? That's six. They come up to six years, isn't it? He's gonna have another three, I reckon. Um, might I think he might have to call it a day after that because you know I'm, I think he's 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 close to being the longest serving manager since Bob Paisley. I think if he's not done it already, I think he he may actually I think he already has. Yeah. So that shows you. And what did Bob Paisley do? What he was like won all of these. Was it six championships, three European Cups? And when I turned up, started watching, I only caught like two games under him and then it was over to Joe Fagan. Yeah, no, will be, be interesting. Right, before we go then, final one, what's been your favourite season? We've spoken through so many of them, but if there were one, whether it be as a fan or reporter, or even if you wanted to switch out from a year you remember reporting on that you would rather hmm. have been in the stands, which year would you, you want to live through? Um, I thought you were going to ask me for favourite games. I had some lined up. Okay, your favourite games. You can, you can tell yeah. me your favourite games as well. I thought, I thought we now, really touched on that. Favourite games. Now, I've obviously, in my job as well, I've been quite lucky. I mean, when I was in Istanbul. I saw them beat Olympiacos. Um, obviously, saw the Barcelona game. Uh, any other the Juventus game, did you do that? The 2-1? Yeah, the home, the home yeah. game, yeah. Did the home game. 
I was at the Newcastle 4-3, both of them. Well, the first one is the only time ever that I've ever left my seat to go to the toilets. And Newcastle scored one of the goals in that time. So I thought you were going to say the first yeah. time I ever got no. on the pitch. I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> no, no, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. <laughs> no, no. So, uh, no. So, but I'm not doing that again. Um, Dortmund 4-3, that was a good game. Yeah. There's been, a lot of them are the European ones. It, it tends to be the games that are the night games. I mean, there obviously have been lots of good games at three o'clock, but they tend to be the night games. Where the, that can sometimes even be a night game where it's actually a day game in the sense that it's Boxing Day or the December the 28th and it kicks up at three o'clock. And by the time it's quarter to four, it's gone almost dark. So it feels so the game's being played under the floodlights and it's all that kind of stuff. I'd probably say one of the best games, and I've always said this, is I was at the Everton 4, Liverpool 4, 1991 FA Cup game. Because that was just ridiculous. It was genuinely just a ridiculous, ridiculous game where everything happened and the goals Liverpool scored were great and the goals Everton scored were all not great because Liverpool just kept on giving them the ball. I mean, they, they did. I mean, Everton just stuck in and, and, and kept at it and they ended up winning the replay 1-0, which I wasn't at that one. But for years, I'd say the 4-4. Istanbul is definitely up there purely because it was so ridiculous, the whole experience as well. Um, but... I'd have to say the best game is probably the Barcelona 4-0 game. And definitely the best season was that season, which I know the following season they won the league. And even if even before the way that it ended, obviously, with nobody being in the stadium when they won it, even before then, it seemed more... In 2018-19, it was more, I can't believe this. You know, they've won another game. They've won another game. They've won another game. Hang on. What is the, you know, oh, they, they beat Napoli. They're in this... Whatever they've just been by Munich, that's incredible. You didn't play the quarter oh, Porto, beat Porto, and then it's like you know, suddenly you're like, is this team ever going to lose? And the only, as I say, in the Premier League, they only lost the one game. And then remember the Newcastle away game right towards the end, where Origi scores in the last minute, the header, and then that was just before the Barcelona game. I do wonder what would have happened had he not scored that. Whether Liverpool would have kind of had that impetus going into that game, even allowing for the fact that Company did score that goal just before, the day before they played Barcelona. But the following season, 1920, was more a season of, OK, just get this done, get this done. They need to get this done. OK, so you kind of sensed it from the players as well, even when they were like, it's ridiculous now. You, I remember writing stories saying, oh, Liverpool have just won to go 21 points clear or something stupid like that. It's like, and you were thinking, oh, can they do it? It's like, what well, of course they can. Did you 20 think, points, I was 20 say, points what, clear. What point did you, in that season, did you think, oh, they've actually done this? Because I remember sort of thinking, it, I was new into the role at the time, and thinking, yeah. they need to start fast, and they did. And then they just kept winning game after game after game. And I think, it, for me, I think, it was it 3-1 down at Bournemouth? That was the day for me. I think City played the following day and maybe drew or lost to Wolves. Might have been that oh, weekend. Oh, uh, sure. no, It was early yeah. December. And I remember... Yeah, was it Bournemouth? I don't, they won 4-0 at, was it 4-0 at Bournemouth? Was it 4-0? I thought it might have been 3-1. But yeah, whatever the, 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 the scoreline was, but I'll, I'll try and find it. But it, it was it was that day I remember thinking to myself, I think they've actually done it now. Even Wolves, before, I Wolves, know a lot of Wolves beat City 3-2, didn't they? Wolves beat City 3-2. Yeah. That's right. I can't remember what game. Was it Was it Bournemouth away? It could have been Bournemouth at home. No, Bournemouth, Bournemouth away. No, it was Bournemouth away. Yeah, because Bournemouth at home was the final one before. Uh, yeah, was it? Down, was it three nil? Yeah, it was three nil. Yeah, seven. Oh, I remember seven. it. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, sorry, yeah, three nil. Oxley yeah. Chamberlain scored, and yeah, Cater yeah, and yeah, yeah, Cater scored. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I remember so that one. Yeah, good. that's right. Now, the, the, probably the time I thought, well, they got a, they could win this. Like genuinely could win it is when they scored the last minute against Aston Villa, and that was as early as November, because yeah. they played City the next week. 
and then beat them. And what could have been a, I don't know what, basically ended up being nine points clear of City and it could easily have been they were level after that game. Had Liverpool not scored the late two goals against Villa and then beaten Man City. So I thought from that point on, they were always in the box seat. It was just a matter of getting it done and City would just regularly drop points, lose points, just at a time when, you know, Liverpool were never going to win every game ever, were they? Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, they got beat by Watford, wasn't it, in the end? So, and then they, they were kind of, funny enough, they were kind of struggling, just a, not struggling, but they'd kind of gone over the top, as it were, by the time the season actually ended, was was suspended for three months because yeah. they obviously got beat by Atletico Madrid as well and they'd only scraped past Bournemouth and West Ham at home, I seem to remember. But, I mean, by then, I mean, what did they end up with, 99 points? Yeah. For the season before, that's the, obviously the most points any team has ever got without winning the league, which was you're thinking, what more can they possibly do? And the answer was, make sure that they got more points because that's yeah. what they ended up doing. Because they, they knew they were going to win it then. So, now I'd definitely say the 18-19 was the best season. And the worst season by a million miles was last season. That I mean, yeah. it's almost like that whole season just needs an asterisk against it just for every, every yeah, reason. Just, it was yeah, just, let's, let's not never mention that. this yeah. ever again. Yeah, that one can go in the vault and not be spoken about. Actually, just look then on the, the 7th of December that weekend I was on about City lost the, uh, it must have been the late game at home to Manchester United. They lost the derby 2-1. That's right. Yes, because I remember right. watching it in the press room. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I remember thinking though, even when, when Liverpool's the third win in, I thought no matter what happens in their game, I just can't see them keeping up this this pace. But anyway, that is it for this edition then of my Liverpool. Hope you enjoyed that one, Doily, and we got a few smiles out of you. I know, yeah. I'll, I'll laugh next time. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Well, that's all we've time for here on this edition of the Blood Red Podcast. From myself, Guy Clark and Ian Doyle, thanks for joining us. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.